so uh, what is there to talk about? <laughs> I'm always impressed that the Buddha knew there was some place to go and there was freedom. I mean, he didn't really know that because he hadn't experienced it. So, you know, he had an awful lot of confidence <laughs> for something that he didn't. And nobody else could teach him about it or he really even he was awfully sure that there was something there. Does that get talked about much in the tradition? I haven't heard that talked about much in the tradition. But um, I mean what is talked about is is the role of the heavenly messengers and the the sight of a samana is one of those signals which lets people know that there is an alternative. But what was happening was is, is that you know people hadn't woken up to those truths yet. So it was a it was a journey that he was on by himself. But I think um, you know when each of us touches in our meditation practice, we each have a sense of that. You know, we each have a sense of the space that's around something that's actually free from the entanglement with it. That's true. And so, you know, when you have a... That's that's part of our experience. And so... And people... I mean, sometimes you can have children who are just remarkably clear about things like that in ways which is just mind-blowing, you know. And it's not necessarily because of practice, but it's just because they're not cluttered up and all gunked up with a lot of stuff. It's just clear. You know. But it is true, and why, that's part of the reasons why, you know, his teachings are clear, and and the fact that he was able to do what he did is, is a real blessing, and that blessing has continued for, you know, 2,500 years to, to shine its light and illuminate the blessings that follow in its wake. For me, it's always been the case that it's really important to negotiate the balance between working with meditation in order to develop balance and just letting attention rest in awareness so that we're not actually trying to fiddle and shift and stuff, but we're, we're actually we're, we're seeing the freedom that is present in the present moment. Our attention is resting there. It's not trying to make it better. And yet, it's natural and it's also skillful that part of our development is to develop the skills to be able to work with the conditions so that it is actually a more wholesome, peaceful uh, life. Yeah, so in that story that he mentioned his experience as a child person who started plowing so about the extent of the you know, knowing or hinting of something
You know, it's also interesting to open up the whole topic of, you know, what knocks us off balance and how do we relate to that. And so, um, you know, some, there's some, some of these forces that we have to deal with are really strong. Really strong. And so, you know, there's times when we have the capacity just to be still and, and say, I know you, Mara. And there's times when we don't. And, you know, for me, I think part of what's been helpful is to be able to be very current about what I'm actually up to. Because I can have, I mean, I have memories of experience of being able to do stuff where I might not be actually able to do that right now. And so, you know, part of, I think part of the humility of practice is being incredibly honest about what's actually going on and how one's actually dealing with it. Because it doesn't matter what I did last week. (laughs) Or last year, you know. (laughs) And so I think that whole conversation about, well, what is actually happening is part of what then determines whether what's needed is to move with skillful ways of bringing things into balance or whether there actually is the capacity just to let it be uh, whatever it is and just relax into a knowing of it. So part of that is just the, the, the immediacy of what we're doing and how we're responding to it and how much it's leaking out or not leaking out. What kind of effect that it has. You know, I was at the I was at farmer's market today on Alms Round. And I was just, it was lovely to see there were many children that were there. And there were many, many many pregnant women. I love seeing pregnant women. I just think they're spectacular. They're glorious. But it just made me reflect that, you know, there weren't very many nuns there. (laughs) 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 You know, and that movement of of willingness to take on board that all of that you know the the instincts or the desire the longing for intimacy or the you know the ch- children the, the, all of that and to not move in that direction that's not a very common choice So at work, I, I, I work at a cube farm, and there's uh, a lot of chatter around the office a lot, and it's, um, as you would imagine, not super skillful stuff. Um, and it's, sometimes it's hard for me not to engage in that, you know, myself, and just stay in my seat and do my job or whatever. Kevin and I were talking about this the other night, and, um, and we talked about this a little bit on that Travis retreat about you know, what can help with not respond, you know, not getting up and um, to try to ground myself somewhere with the body before I get up and start getting up in the head. I mean, I'm already in the head because of the programming, but, um, and, you know, that's helped some. If I do stand up to start it and I, you know, feel my feet on the ground or whatever, and that's like, okay, so I got There's a whole other dimension to that, which is is that oftentimes we bond through our wrong speech, you know, so we can really feel a close connection with another person by thrashing a third person. Mm 
And what can be really helpful is to notice that there's the wholesome element of wanting to connect together with an mm-hmm. unwholesome way of doing it. And so if that actually becomes clear, then we can move towards what actually sustains the wholesome connection without using the unwholesome strategy mm-hmm. in order to support it. Because it, it's, it's, it's humbling to realize how much we long for connection. And that we do that sometimes at expense of other things that we value. But when we make that a priority to connect and see that, then sometimes that paves a way to negotiate these tricky places where we can find a way of talking with another person without opening up another um, way of doing it that we have some regret about or some residue afterwards. But that longing to be in a group or connected or you know bonded or somehow is really strong it's amazing how strong it is actually and so when this stuff comes up in a workspace then you're in this tension between wanting to connect but not wanting to connect in a way which is unskillful and so I mean obviously I think John was right about you know if you've got some ground with your physical body that gives you a little bit more capacity to negotiate that but I think what helps me also is to also be very clear about the wanting to connect. And when I actually have that as a very clear focus, then that also gives another ground. Well, where I work in the school, the principal was very clear that she wanted us to make the effort to make those connections with the other faculty. And then, it, so it was my job. It was my goal that those connections to be were wholesome, and it didn't fall into the the connection of gossip or griping or uh, ganging up on a third person. And that was challenging, but. Um, you know, I was thinking about knowing and how the Buddha paid attention to that. Mm-hmm. And that he uh, he just said, all right, enough. I hope I'm getting this right. I'm going to get this figured out. And I'm not moving until I do. And I think that's a good lesson for us in our lives. When we get that moment, you know, the light comes on and the, the, the idea clicks in like, I can do a better job of this, and but I have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And they step back and go within and, and figure it out, because we have the tools to do that. It's very nice to be reminded of the, the wholesome under, you know, part of that. So. You know, that helps take away some of the aversion, you know, that's going back this way for whatever, you know, nonsense I might or might not engage with. I found that really instructive with um, Marshall Rosenberg's work on nonviolent communication. That, you know, the stuff that we do around anger, often that's because our needs are not getting met. And so when you look at it that way, there's a whole huge, you know, context for empathy. Mm-hmm which then just really cuts through the overlay of judgment on top of all of that. 
And so then when we can focus on the needs that are not getting met, when we're feeling, you know, we're losing it with our anger, then it, it can just bypass the judgment that comes afterwards, which is often, you know, one of the secondary responses when we're unskillful with our anger. things to talk or share or discuss. So let's close with the sharing of blessings, which is on page 27, I think. chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord, the Sangha is my supreme support, through the supreme power of all these. May darkness and delusion be dispelled.